Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast for uh, today for the first time is a guest you may remember best from his NAIA singles and doubles championship winning days at Elon College. Of course, now we know him as the head coach of the Florida women's tennis team. Welcome on to the show for the first time, head coach Roland Thornquist. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. That was some intro right there. You're bringing some old school memories back. Well, you know, what I've started to learn through this process, every coach is either a former All-American, former national champion, former national championship winning coach. You happen to hit all three of those boxes. So, you know, hey, great shot to you. But what it shows me more than anything else is a lifetime in college tennis. And something I've wanted to ask all of these coaches and something I think fans are interested in as well is what is it about college tennis that you continue to be gravitated towards? Oh, wow. Uh, well, college tennis has offered me everything really in life. You know, I had, uh, it gave me a great opportunity to come and, and get a world-class education, meet friends for a lifetime. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to meet my wife in, at, at UNC. And so college tennis was the springboard of all of that. And um, I think I've come to a point now in my life, uh, in my professional life for sure, where I want to spend a little bit more time to sort of try to give back to the sport and certainly give back to college tennis for what it's offered me personally and um, and also what I think uh, that college tennis can be, um, you know, on the aggregate going forward. 
Yeah, and you know, you were a uh, assistant coach since 1994 and coaching head coach since 1997. For the record, I was born in 1995, so your coaching career is one Alex Gruskin. Congratulations for whatever that's <laughs> worth. Um, but you know, obviously, again, looking at uh, the various levels you've coached and played, I am curious. Looking big picture. To me, the biggest difference between now and then, the top schools have always been good, but it's the schools ranked 30, 40, 50 that just continue to get better and better. The depth in college tennis, the best it's ever been. I'm curious if you agree with that assessment and what you think might have led to where we're at now. I definitely agree. And um, I think that's also really good for our sport. I think the format that we chose a few years ago also leads to perhaps some more upsets, which I also think is good for our sport. Um, Parity, I think, has proven in in many, many sports is certainly the path to uh, more visibility. And um, um, I, I think our sport will be no different. We have tremendous coaches now. Uh, the level of um, um, you know ability to lead and also the, the the vast tennis knowledge now at the collegiate level is way better than it was 20 years ago. And certainly at some of these uh, mid-major schools, you have former players, former um, champions that are leading these programs, and so you see, you know, that the transfer of knowledge. Um, uh, you know, from from those coaches to 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 their players play out when when we end up meeting them uh, in dual matches, and uh, that's a big difference that that I think has, has um, contributed to this. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you come from Sweden. Um, so college tennis not ingrained in you the way it may be in some American prospects growing up. That said, has it become easier for you to sell college tennis to international players? Yes, and I've got a great story for you. So my first year at Florida was the you know the oh one oh two season. I decided to go to the European Championships that that's held in clusters every year. So I went, and there was only one other collegiate coach there <laughs> that summer with me. Right, so we just had the field, and very few players at that time, and certainly very few coaches. Uh, at that level for the for the federations had any idea what, what college tennis was about uh, that you know compare that you know 20 years ago with what you see now if you go to Switzerland you know you've got 50 coaches and all of the federation coaches know exactly what uh, college tennis is about and and certainly starting to embrace it embrace it more you see that uh, in particular at the uh, the smaller nations where they don't have the funding for the kids who are perhaps, you know, the, the second tier um, juniors, right, that are coming out of the juniors, but they just can't fund them for the first few years on the satellite uh, tour. And so now they're saying, hey, go to a good college, get good training, get some funding, and then, you know, maybe it'll work out that way. And that's definitely a new, you know, from you know, 10 years ago. But yeah, clearly it's getting better. No question. I tell Tony Brusky this to his face, so I can say it here as well. I'm convinced the only reason he found Petros is because he was like, let me just work in a trip to Cyprus. He's like, let me just see if I can, you know, school, can I try Cyprus? And they were like, yeah, sure, go for it. And he's like, oh, there's this Petros kid. Um, And so, no, I, I agree. I think 
that aspect of the sport certainly adds so many dimensions and obviously it adds to the depth as well and with that depth in mind let's talk about uh, your team season last year you know again on paper 13 and 8 overall I know that's not the standard you guys hold yourselves to that said primarily an SEC only schedule and just you know the difficulties of finding any sorts of matches last season what was that 2021 experience like for you in the program? Yeah, I'd say uh, it was very challenging, honestly, on on um, uh, many levels. I would say the past, ever since we won it uh, in 2017, we had some players leave early. Um, and I frankly did a poor job replacing them. And I think it's shown up, you know, it, it was more, it was less about the talent on the court and perhaps more about, players who didn't fit in what we're trying to do, the Florida first mentality. And, you know, like this year's mantra is to be helpful and grateful. And we've had uh, quite a few players here who perhaps didn't fit in that mold. And it showed up eventually in in our performance. Last year certainly was very difficult for us um, because we did have some off-court challenges. Um, That I think we've corrected. And frankly, I really like this year's team. Kind of more than 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 perhaps the most I've had here. We have five new players, all who have bought in with great talent, and so we've sort of put last year and last year's debacle behind us, and and really turned on and, and learned a lot from it, and perhaps is using last year to fuel this year's uh, passion and and really as a as a you know I think to propel us into. Um, what we sort of gotten used to as far as Florida performance in the past. No, certainly. And again, I still think there were nuggets of excellence. Certainly when you look at your team last season, one of them has to be the performance of McCartney Kessler at the top of the lineup. She goes 14-2 and two throughout the dual match season. Again, that's an SEC schedule. That's You're playing tough matches, match in, match out. I know she was a senior last year, but you bring her back again this season. She's had a fantastic fall, success at the pro circuit as well. What's clicked for her so well on the court these past 12 months? Well, ever since she came her freshman, she, she actually came a semester early, mm-hmm. right? And uh, really helped us doing it. She's been uh, just open-eyed, you know, soaking it all in. The first one here, last one to leave. Um, and, uh, I, you know, her playing style her freshman and sophomore year was probably more of a counterpuncher, you know, a tremendous backhand, could move reasonably well, and, and an incredible, incredible competitor. And what we've tried to do over the course of her tenure here is to work on her moving forward a little more, being a little more explosive, because if you want to play – um, at the top, you know, if you want to be one of the better players, you need to have, you need to be able to hurt people clearly. And that part of her game has really improved. And I think you saw the, um, you know, the sort of the, what you got from that last year, you know, um, very few people, um, could play at her level with the pace. Um, and you know, um, her service improved. Now, I haven't seen her much this fall. You know, she was in and out of here. And um, I think that she missed us a little bit, clearly. <laughs> you know, that it's a, it's always nice to have everything here in Florida. We have our courts right here, and the gym is on the other side of the fence. And you don't ever have to, you know, track down anybody to train with or help is right here. And 
sometimes these players when they leave they they realize how how good they have it here you know with everything right here i do think she's very excited to come back and start again you know particularly because last year was uh, very challenging both her marley and sydney our seniors i think are extra motivated to lead to lead this team but but mccartney is certainly going to be one of the reasons why i'm very optimistic uh, for this year i think she's going to give us an opportunity to be just about as good as anyone at one and we're going to have tremendous depth this year unlike uh, uh you know the previous three years and I want to talk again or give you the chance to talk about all of these players, but you mentioned another name there, Sydney, who, you know, from New York, but then spent so much time in Sweden. Um, you know, she, her first two years, 500, right? And was contributing mm-hmm. in and out, but couldn't quite find her rhythm. She wins her last eight decisions to end last season, 13 and four overall in the five and six singles positions. Again, I know it's never as simple as what clicked in one year, but to get that from her at the bottom of the lineup, know you have her coming back as well. Talk to me about the growth you've seen over the past 12 months. You know, um, for Sydney, it is probably more upstairs than anything. You know, um, she's going to be the one of the nicest people you've ever met. Mm-hmm. And um, we've tried to sort of make her a little meaner on the court, if sure. you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. And it started a change last year where there was a innate belief there that she, she could kick everybody, anybody's butt, you know, and, and you really need that in our sport, right? You know, you can't be out there happy to be a four all in a big match. You need to have that uh, belief in yourself and be, and sort of expect to win. And she started really last year to, to have that even in, in big matches, which is really important for us. Um, Obviously we, you know, the matches that really count for us historically have been the Georgias, you know, the Stanford's and UCLA's, North Carolina's, whatever. And um, now with what we talked about initially in this program, you know, the growth and the depth of this league, you know, we're starting to see some resistance almost at every SEC match. And so um, teams now have really good players at six. You know, and perhaps 10 years ago, we would have easy matches, um, you know, at, at half our matches at five and six. We would be tested repeatedly at one and two, but at five and six, you know, we would sort of always count, boom, check, check. And if you have two free ones, it's certainly a lot easier to get four, you know. Uh, but uh, I think with uh, with her um, growth mentally and her belief in, belief in herself, she's always had a big game. And with the lefty and, you know, she can roll it up on you and sneak up and take one on the rise. Um, you know, she's tricky to play when she plays well. And so I'm really eager to see she's done a really good job over Christmas. You know, we've hit here the past few days. And so we're going to that uh, to the Vegas tournament next week. And it's going to be super interesting to see uh, if she can get paid for all the work over Christmas. It is crazy that we are seven days away. And yeah, I'm like, I still have too many interviews to go. I'm like, you want me to squeeze all of these in in the last week? Um, It's going to be a fun seven days. Um, But, you know, what other player who maybe had the best results on paper, certainly this fall, that's a returner, is Marley Zane. And you look Mm -hmm. at what she was able to do at the All-American to qualify into that draw, get wins over Kylie Collins, Cam Mora, um, Campania, I believe, over at Wake Forest as well. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Again, last year, 8-6 and six on paper. Doesn't sound great, but you're playing top three of the lineup. SEC, she's another senior you bring back this year. Uh, is she ready to take that next jump forward? Yes, and she was actually last year too. So Marley is a complete team player, right? She is – we've had a few of them over my 20-year tenure here, players who really don't have any interest in playing on the tour after but are completely here for Florida and want to win something uh, for the Gators. That's exactly what Marley is all about. And she was really injured last year and wanted to play, wanted to play. And you could see over the course of the season, she started out uh, you know, a, a tremendous form early. And you could see how her performance eroded with her injury. And it was it was painful to see a little bit, but she really wanted to play because we were short, you know. Um, I think we've done a better job managing her hours this, this past fall, although it started to creep back a little bit in the fall, uh, at the end of the fall. But if we do a good job managing her hours, I think uh, the, the sky's the limit for her. We have, uh, when she knows that the team is good and that we have a chance to do something special, her level rises. And you've seen there are very few players who get better Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at the very end of matches when it's, you know, the pressure cooker time and Marley is one of those kids. So if we can just do our job as a team to have a nice depth and have some early success, Marley's play is going to improve just merely because of that in my mind. Yeah, and obviously we've talked to the returners. Talk to me about the newcomers, and it's not only you bring in three freshmen, you bring in Carly Briggs from Tennessee, you bring in Emma Shelton from South Carolina, uh, that's obviously that's an interesting blend, and I want to touch on that in a second. But first, just how have they, you know, the five newcomers meshed into the, this group? What a blessing, honestly. Okay. Um, just uh, you know, I, we noticed first week how excited they were to be here, you know, and you know, like I said, the helpfulness and gratefulness that we've talked about this year. Um, they're just so happy to be here, and they're soaking it all in, and they're helping. Uh, the the real freshmen, you know, and telling them what's to come. Um, and their level of play, Carly's level of play, you know, we played against her last year. And, and in my mind, when we played against her, you know, her greatest attribute last year was how mentally tough she is. You know, she if she gets to four all, you're, you're in dire straits, right? The kid is amazing. One thing that I've been um, pleasantly surprised with, uh, this this past fall and now coming back here early spring, it's just the level of play. It's been tremendous. She can just crack the ball. Uh, we're trying to get her a little better moving laterally, but overall, I mean, her her ball is massive. So coupled that with the way she competes, you know, like she's going to be a force to reckon with. And she's been am- amazing in training. I mean, she loves to train. So same goes uh, uh, for Emma. Emma's the same way. First one here, last one's to leave. And uh, uh, with great attitudes, really wants to be good. I mean, obviously, that comes from the family. We've seen that here, you know, for, for 10 years eh, with when the Shelton's arrived. Eh, they're okay yeah. as winners. Eh. And she is yeah. exactly the same way. I mean, yeah. just loves tennis, uh, staying extra, you know, coming early, um, really cares about uh, and takes ownership of her game, right? So we asked each one of them 
uh, when they left in the fall to pick one thing to really feel like they improved over break, you know, and she comes back here and the first day I see, boom, it's there. It's, it's, it's like markedly better than it was from when we left them. That's just one example, but um, yeah, those two have been just amazing. And, and, and their experience from um, SEC play in the past is going to be really vital, you know? So in my mind, they're not really, they're new, but they're certainly not freshmen, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, uh, this league can eat up freshmen, uh, exactly. you know? Uh, and I, I just don't see that with them at all. So I think that we have a lot of experience in this team, although we have a lot of new players. Well, you bring that up, and obviously you had many spots available this offseason. And so you had the luxury of being able to bring in both freshmen and experienced players. But moving forward, and in particular, with until the COVID year, extra year of eligibility is expended by all of these players – how will you balance that in shaping your roster, finding the four-year freshman versus knowing there's a Shelton out there, there's a Briggs out there I can bring onto my team that will be able to fit in perhaps more quickly? Well, to be realistic, I think you do have to have a balance, honestly. Mm-hmm. We can't be the only team in the country that are bringing in 18-year-olds if other teams are bringing 21-year-olds. Sure. Um, you know, that would, regardless of how talented these players are. Um, and so I do think... Uh, and particularly here in Florida, we, we now have perhaps even more uh, uh, the ability to um, wait uh, to make decisions uh, with the portal than we needed to be prior to the portal, which is going to be all ultimately a good thing for us, not necessarily a great thing for the game. You know, I'm not necessarily a fan of it, but like, look, it's the rising tide. What am I going to do about it? You know, and um, so I do think we have to have a nice balance. You have to get obviously um, the best juniors you can but at the same time we um, don't necessarily now have to take somebody we don't uh, are 100 convinced uh, of, and, and because I, I do think the portal will be a, a nice friend to have for for the gators do you feel more pressure to recruit your players as they're on the roster now than perhaps you did 10 15 years ago or is that not an issue no no and my philosophy here um, as well as it was at North Carolina prior to coming here, was that I will never sit down and convince somebody to stay. If they don't want to be here, you know, we'll help them go somewhere. Um, they want to be happy. Like college was the four years of college were some of the four best years in my life. I want the same thing for my players. And if they can't find it here, that we'll help them um, find that somewhere else. Yeah. I, I just think that's the best philosophy to have because Ultimately, we're going to ask a lot of them out here. You know, we want a lot of effort. There's going to be a lot of sweat and tears sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they need to be convinced that this is the place for them. Otherwise, we can't get uh, everything out of them. Well, with all of that in mind, give me the pitch. Why should I come down to Gainesville? Why should I be a Florida Gator moving forward? Are you talking as a recruit to yeah. come and watch one of our matches? Well, I think the re- pitch to come watch the match is obvious. But I'm g- give okay. me the deep dive. I want the recruit. Give me the rolling special. <laughs> uh, the short version is, um, you know, we try to provide a platform for you to get a world-class education uh, mixed in with world-class training. And um, I think over the years we've shown that we've had the ability to improve players. We've had about 20 years here, we've, we've had seven players ranked number one in the country. Five of those started in the bottom half of the lineup. And so um, we do work with our players 
twice a day, almost every day, right? And so we provide a platform here, we believe, uh, one that if you want to play professionally after, if you come to Florida, we'll do everything we can to make that happen. Coupled with the help we have academically here and with online classes and our student support center, you know, there's a lot to offer uh, potential student athletes here. Do you put in the addendum? Like, by the way, fantastic gear also. Like, trust me, the blue and orange is going to look good. Uh, it's a yeah. great, yeah, great color. You know, our, our our players do that, I think, on the side with their Snapchat stories, whatever, <laughs> you know, with what they get. So I'll leave it to them to promote that side of it. Fair. Lord knows if I was the one picking the gear, it'll, it'll be very conservative. I see the hat collection in the background. You've got a good selection to work with. Nothing wrong with that. Lauren, Lauren's in charge, thank goodness. And yeah, she gives me okay. all the good stuff. That makes much more sense. That checks yes. out right away. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, has NIL factored at all into your recruiting yet? And I, do you think that is something that might move forward? I know the rules in Florida are vastly different than elsewhere, but is that something that factors in? Um, I can't say that it has yet, no. But I do think one thing that will um, is the now the additional monies that we're able to uh, offer students you know there it's it's a lot of cash we can give our players now every year and i think that's going to be difficult for some schools to over time be able to sustain you know we can now in florida you know offer a lot every year cash and you know for u.s based or even international players it's a it's a pitch where you know we can now fund their summers they can be full-time players in the summers from the monies that we give them here at the University of Florida. And so um, that I do think over the long term will will weed some schools out, unfortunately. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see as the dynamic unfolds and more information becomes available. Um, All right. I want to ask you some big picture things. I want to start with development. Obviously, it's two schools of thought, right? You have to balance developing individual players, all different game styles, all slightly different quirks, with developing your team at the same time to be in the best position to succeed. How do you strike that balance in practice with your 20 hours, balancing you know individual plus teamwork as well? Well, for us, it goes hand in hand, honestly. Uh, it starts clearly in recruiting. And that's you know my, my statement you know, five minutes ago was I did a poor job of that, you know, after the 17 season where we got some players in who didn't understand our mentality here in Florida first. But if we do a good job on the front end and really telling people that this is what we're all about, then we do get the right players in here with the right mindset that are helpful, they're grateful to be here, that love the Gators. And then we just work as much as they want to work here. You know, we start seven in the morning and you know, they go to class after that, and then we come back at two, and then we lift the run after. And um, I, I think they go hand in hand rather than, um, you know, apart, to be honest. And the best teams we've had here have all had a mix of perhaps three or four potential professionals mm-hmm. and three or four players who just play for the Gators, just play for, you know, what we – they want to raise trophies. They want to be champions. And so it's it's totally, for me – it's hand in hand to have those things. I do think, though, that you have to have players who want to play, some players on the roster who want to play after to sort of propel the whole thing. I do think that's imperative. How frequently are you holding team practices during the year? I know some schools really just lock in on the individuals. Others will make it a point to incorporate more team practice. How do you strike the balance even more specifically? We do individual work in the morning, and then we all come back together um, 
at two o'clock in the afternoon. Those are, you know, I would perhaps one day here or there, you know, um, we might not have the afternoon one, but I think that's, that's just key. Those are key. That's when we do our best doubles work. That's when we talk about stuff. We break down what we did wrong in doubles, what we did well in doubles, you know, from the previous match. So, um, you know, we, we do the, you know, if, if, Alex's slice is poor, then we'll pay attention to that in the mornings. And How'd then you know? in the afternoons, it's, uh, <laughs> it's you know, it's the, the aggregate stuff, point play, yeah. offense, yeah. defense, and stuff like that. That's really how we do it. Sure. No, it, it makes complete sense to me. Um, it'd be forehand work. A lot of forehand okay. work. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Individuals. I mean, okay, this is the sneaky thing. Uh, you know, I went to the City Open this year. This is just a again because we don't talk about me enough. Um, but we went to the, I went to the City Open this year, and I got to hit with some of my fellow people in the press room. I still got it compared to them. Like I, okay. I think there's a misnomer out there. Well, I don't okay. know if there is or not. I can play a little bit, not right. particular. You know, I'm not lining up anytime soon, but I can hang. I can hang. All of that said, yeah, I'd take an individual and a team practice. Like, I could use two-a-days for the next six months <laughs> to get my form back. Um, no, I am curious, you know, again, and you've seen it change throughout the course of your tenure, but in terms of, I, I think the eight-hour rule is atrocious. I just, I think, now again, players are coming to you to be coached. They're not coming to work on their own, and there is something to that individual responsibility moving forward, but... Is that a rule you would like to see reconsidered? How difficult is it to maneuver that rule, particularly before the start of the season? Yeah, here at Florida, we have players who want to play. Right? Yeah. I don't think that rule is necessarily for our players. You know, it was made for, I think, for players with less um, desire, I guess, right? Sure. Less um, pro aspirations, but, certainly. Yeah, or, you know, less interest in, in sure. the, the athletic side of it, I think. So, obviously, you have to learn to navigate that period. I think we've found, you know, a reasonable way to do it. You know, um, we talk to our players about taking ownership of their own game. And so, you know, unfortunately, the very beginning of their arrival here, in, in August, they certainly have to learn to do that, right? Because we can. There's only so many hours we can touch them every week and, and, and help them. So they have to spend some time on the court on their own, right? Together, two on two, playing. Maybe sometimes they go inside together, blah blah blah. Um, so, but there's also on the other side of that. The flip side of that is also good in that you know they um, they can. Sh- First of all, they learn to do it together, right? They grow together as a unit. Uh, and they also uh, realize that, you know, getting help is actually superior to doing it on your own. And sure. so <laughs> um, I think we found a reasonable way to navigate that time. Uh, if it was up to me, um, clearly eight hours is insufficient. But, you know, it is what it is. You're just going to have to learn to navigate it. No, I, and that's why I like to hear is how all of you coaches do navigate those sorts of things. Um, again, I'll get back to your team in a little bit. I do want to go big picture here moving forward as well. And what I've learned through this Power 5 coaching series, X's and O's, coaching the tennis, that's like 20% of the job. You know, so much of it is still recruiting and managing personalities, budgets, marketing, all of those sorts of things. And I want to talk about the marketing side in particular. What are the things you guys do at Florida 
to and I'm sure it helps just to be at Florida, of course, inherently. But how do you guys build that Gainesville tennis community? How do you ensure that you have a group of people constantly coming back? What are what are the things you guys do with your program? Well, that's a great question. In the past, so prior to COVID, um, Brian and I have both been out and we've been actually been playing at clubs. Mm-hmm. So in the fall, we'll do like a Friday night, you know, they do a mixer and Brian and I will be out there playing doubles with a couple of their pros or whatever. And, and to get the community riled up that way, um, then one year, we were getting after it, and Brian pulled a hamstring, and then that was it. <laughs> it was wasn't funny then; it's funny now. But, yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, our marketing team here does a really good job in getting the word out, and we have pretty extensive booster groups that help as well. And so, uh, the, the the interesting thing was when I was hired here by Jeremy Foley, you know, 20 years ago, he, the mantra in his pitch was you know you're here to do two things that's to coach and recruit that was the two things he wanted me to do i'm not supposed to raise funds i'm not supposed to do anything else we have other professionals who do that for you um that's starting to change a little bit now obviously that um and after uh covid now i do think we have to make another push and to get some of these butts in seats again that we perhaps have lost you know and we had a, generally an older crowd to come watch us, and uh, we need to get some new blood in. Uh, one thing that we actually have uh, done is we're getting um, shade now over the stands, which sure. will help over the course of the spring. Now, you know, the people can stay for three hours and not just get crushed from the sun. So mm-hmm. that part, I think, will really help getting butts in seats. But in general, you know, Brian and I do, um, on you know, very little, honestly, and our marketing people uh, is sort of responsible for the rest. No, that's obviously, again, what makes Florida, Florida. Um, in terms of growing the game moving forward, you know, and I want we'll get to the product side in a second, but we've already talked about the depth, the, the parity. It's as exciting as ever, I would argue. But from the marketing perspective, is that what college tennis as a community needs to be focused on, growing the sport moving forward? I feel like, again, it, how many times can you change the product? It's at, at a certain point, it's about selling the product, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's been my view for 10 years. We, we need to get on TV. Mm-hmm. We need to get on TV and we have an amazing thing to sell. We mic up our coaches, you know, imagine on the tennis channel and some ladies in Atlanta, I get to see, you know, Georgia, Georgia tech or Florida, Georgia. And, you know, Jeff and I are mic'd up and you can hear what we're telling our players, perhaps with a 10-second delay or whatever you want to do. But how amazing would that be, right? Mm-hmm. The access into, um, you know, real-time information, seeing these two programs play each other, uh, and then have people like you, uh, you know, the other year when you guys were doing the indoors, you're unbelievable to listen to. We have to have experts in college tennis, not just tennis, who constantly, you know, because I do think, in the past, we've had commentators at the NCAs who are used to doing the pros, and you, they keep com- coming back to comparing the collegiate stuff to the professional stuff, and it just makes no sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing. And so we need to have people up there who are experts at college tennis like yourself, and you do such a good job creating interest. Like I stayed on my computer for matches at the end of those that I would never have watched <laughs> if you guys weren't commentating. And 
um, I can I can assure you that would go for for most people, you know. And I do think we have tremendous product to sell. We do need to get on TV more, and if we do, um, I think we're uh, we would take off like most of the other sports who've seen some um, TV access. I will say this. I will first of all thank you. Uh, I still hold a grudge against Chris Young because he plays four players the first two days. The one day he plays six players, it's a 4-3 match. Sunday at the indoors, everything was 4-3. I am not a coffee drinker because, as you can tell, energy is not the thing I lack. And I look at our producer and I'm like, Westhoff, I need coffee. I'm like, we got one more to go in Texas UNC ain't ending anytime soon. And so, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, so to that point, the biggest thing that always comes up is time. Time, time, time. These matches are too long. They don't fit in the two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour TV block. My – so the solutions, how do we solve that without compromising the game? Let's start first with I think the most simple one. I think in the next 10 to 15 years, simultaneous start is going to happen. One double flight may be worth two, uh, and then four singles flights all worth one, or, or you know maybe the one double's worth one or the two double's worth two, however you want to do it, all the other singles flights as well. Is that something you could be open to? Yes, absolutely. And I'll tell you a funny little nugget. Uh, we actually, I proposed that as a format for our seven SCC tournament. Okay. And it was voted yes by the coaches, but really? turned down by the SWAs. Yes. So we had it actually on the books really? a long time ago to test. Um, uh, and and but the, the leadership turned it down. So yeah, I, I I do. I mean, I think look, if we're starting to play, if we need to get to um, you know three points instead of four, that that's a massive difference. Clearly, but once again, you know that will lead to parity, obviously, and perhaps then you can use UTR in mm-hmm. your lineup so you don't stack right. No, mm-hmm. You know, um, so there's certainly ways to do it. I do think. In general, I think us as college coaches have to think big picture. And I think some coaches have a, a lot of coaches have a hard time doing it. They can't see past six inches, you know, what's good for their program and and start thinking about what's best for college tennis in general, because that ultimately is going to be better for them anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I was part of the movement to, to change, uh, you know, the five hour plus um, um format we had prior to this you know and you know leaving that was certainly not in the best interest of florida you know we dominated the long matches the Embry area like if he went past four hours man we were we were going to beat you you know and so clearly that wasn't in my best interest personally but i certainly felt like for college tennis changing it to a to the format we have now is superior right um and perhaps there is something beyond this that will be even better um um, but yeah, clearly, I, I, I would certainly be a fan. And certainly, we need to test it, no question. And what you all did last fall, playing all the hidden dual matches on the men's side, in particular in the SEC, I think that's one way of just testing experiments with the fall. Um, another one I would throw at you if you're looking for something, and I'm stealing from Brad Dancer here and World Team Tennis Model. But if timing is the issue, and I really don't want to lose the doubles point is the thing, because I do think that's the most valuable property, and there has to be a way to weigh it in the new format moving forward. But if singles timing is the issue, and you don't want the game to be so gimmicky that it compromises development, let's put an hour and a half on the clock at the start of singles, 
and let's just add up games. Every player's game, every game is worth one. Whichever team accumulates the most games over the six flights in that hour and a half, you're the winner. And every game matters. There's no lull of first sets. It's like from the get-go, we're going, and there's a stop clock on the wall. I don't think that compromises development. That's something I can get behind. So I've got a story for you. So I started playing tennis when I was 14, really late. I played hockey and and, uh, soccer. As a, as a junior and I played my brother's two years younger and he had played, you know, four or five years and I started playing and started getting better and better. You know, I started March 84. So by like May of 84, I played my brother in a tournament and it was a 55 minute timed match. Okay. Right. So he, he goes up four one. And I, at that time, I get the four two. I, at that time am running in between points to pick up the balls, to give to him. Okay. when he's serving yeah. and he's just taking his sweet time on the other side. So I have the perspective. I've actually done it uh-huh. and it is a terrible feeling. <laughs> I can tell you that yeah. unless you're winning. Yeah, it's fair, but it does add some urgency and yeah, you're giving more discretion to line judges. It'd have to be a, you have 20 seconds, let's go. Otherwise point other person. And so to prevent stalling, of course, Anthony faces right. enough enough pressure match in match out. I'd hate to do that to him even more. Um, but it's just, again, because I think for me, the TV side, I, I think the 40 minutes, it's the best property in all of tennis. That is the doubles point. That's what college tennis has for it. That said, Unless you're me or you or one of these hardcore tennis fans, one coach framed it. The first set is a permission structure for fans to leave. You've had your excitement with the doubles point. Now, does this really matter? You know, like, am I really going to stick it out for everything? And that argument resonates with me. So uh, my view is is I played um, actually a real match here. We played Texas A&M at home. Um, I can't remember when that was, five, seven years ago. And it was a college match day, one of the first USTA college match days. And the format at the time was singles first, followed by, you know, a double shootout, if you will, right? Yeah. And it was magnificent. Okay. We actually ended up playing Alabama, um, at Alabama for the SCC title, basically, in using that format. Mm-hmm. And we went three three in in singles. We crushed them at three doubles, you know, eight one. They beat us at two easy, came down to number one doubles. You know, it was, oh, yeah, it was a super tiebreaker. That's what it was in doubles for the, for the you know, for the three matches. And and we had match points, you know, to, to beat them, but they end up beating us, you know, 11-9 or something um, to basically uh, clinch the SEC regular season. Now, that was exciting. So if you're going to talk about time, uh, that – probably for all the formats that I've been active in has been to me so far the superior one. So you'd go back to doubles last because obviously that used to be college tennis. I would. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I, I, then you play six singles players and you play um, a super tiebreaker for, for doubles. If you want real, if you want real on the edge of your seat excitement, uh, you know, and that's to me. You need to find. We need to have a format that accentuates the four three matches. Okay, yeah. that to me, it can't be the five and a half hour ones that we had ten years ago. The most exciting matches ten years ago took five and a half hours. Okay, see notes all of our matches back in the day. 
we have to have a format that accentuates the most exciting matches we have. That's my opinion. You know, I don't care about the 4-0 that's taking, you know, an hour and 40. I don't care about whether we play doubles then and blah, blah, blah. Like, that match, let it take an hour 10 then, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't care. I really care about the semis, or the, the quarters, the semis, the finals, when the best teams are playing, two even teams. What kind of format do we have to sell that match? That's what I really want to see us focus on if we were ever to re-engage in a format discussion. I love that. And uh, one other thing I would add to it, substitutions. Because I think a match never ends with an injury. I would also say 10 to 15-minute lulls every player experiences. All right, if you're going to do that to me, I'm yanking you. And everyone gets to play more. Would you be open to substitutions? Only if we start using uh, the WTN or UTR numbers sure. for our lineup. Okay. So you don't, you can't just omit your, your third best player and then put them in whatever. Like if we... If we can have, if we really trust the rating systems to be superior, then you know you're taking it out of out of the coach's hands to to place players. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I would certainly be in favor of it because then you you can't uh, put an illegitimate illegitimate lineup out there. I like that. In terms of the rankings, I think the easy adjustment you go from how we are at now to just a 12 month rolling ranking system, and after graduation you drop out the seniors. Would you prefer that? I haven't thought of that, but uh, a lot of things are superior to what we're doing currently. <laughs> Fair enough. Would you? So there's two schools of thoughts, right? College ranking should be just college results. There's also, do we want them to be the most accurate? If so, should we incorporate UTR, pro results, those sorts of things? Would you prefer the latter? Clearly. Yeah. I mean, the, the most the most accurate. Um, you know, like do we do we really want to know who's the fifth best player in college? Yeah. Or do we want to know who the fifth best player who played tournaments the last three months is? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, obviously, more information is superior to less. So, yeah, we need to know who the best players are that are playing college tennis currently. So I, I like that. NCAA tournament. One Todd Chapman said it on this podcast. He would be more surprised if it doesn't move than if it does at this point. What's your thoughts? Mm. So, look, I think we have a problem – um, as an organization, so I'm on the full disclosure, I'm on the ITA board, you know, sure. and pr- prior to that, I was a member of the ITA operating committee for, for ages. I think we do have a problem as an organization with uh, participation in our fall events, right? So some, you look at our All-America championships and then, you know, the San Diego event this year, a lot of our best players are not playing. And I think that's an issue. Right. I think it's as an organization, we have to make decisions that uh, helps or um, um, stimulates play from our best players in our events. So this is a long winded answer, but I would be a fan of moving the NCAA individual tournament to the fall. If the USTA, they seem to be really on board now and supporting college tennis, if they can basically give back the the wild card the usda wild card and make it a collegiate wild card to anybody who wins it now you're going to have everybody play in the fall mm-hmm. if you move the nca tournament to the fall without that wild card you're going to weaken the nca tournament that's my opinion because players who are you know in the main draw of a 50 of macon or whatever they're not going to play regionals yeah 
you know, to play an NCAA tournament where they can't get into the U.S. Open. They're going to continue to play the 50s or the 25s or whatever it is they're playing. So you're going to basically move the NCAA individual tournament to the fall and have a weaker individual than you do in the spring. To me, that's a big mistake. Sends the wrong message to Tennis America, uh, the tennis playing in America, and I would really be concerned if we did that. I know it's logistically impossible. It makes more sense to do it in November Although there's so many great events, you know, Indian Wells, Miami, even Houston, Charleston. You feel like throwing college matches there throughout the course of the year. That's one mechanism of doing this. NCAA individual second week of the U.S. Open is my baby. That's my dream project. I'm going to somehow – even – I know it's a logistical nightmare. And you probably have to really incentivize players to play the summer circuit in that case or move everything up even earlier to give it an August start like the soccers of the world. Um, But I just feel like – the relationship between pro tennis, college tennis. That's the other thing that just needs to increase. And Oracle, God bless them, we're trying it. UTR is trying to pick up the mantle. But I, like to me, that's the missing piece as well. It's just the pro tennis component and making people in the pro world also care about college. Sure. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as, a, as an organization, obviously we, have, we would have some huge challenges in uh, NCAA field selections. Sure. Uh, you know, and I think that have been that, that probably has been the biggest, um, uh, you know, hurdle uh, in our discussions in moving it to November, let sure. alone moving it to September. I'm sure you have some thoughts on how to fix that that I haven't even uh, had a chance <laughs> to think of myself. But um, in general, I do think we need to if the USTA is this excited now about college tennis we need to somehow get them to really um get that wild card back that would do more than i would say almost anything you know that would do more than you know picking the correct time to have the event sure to stimulate uh, play uh from all the, all the best players on the women's and men's side in our I, in our in our ita events no, I, I completely agree with you. With that in mind, let's talk about an ITA event, kickoff draft. Give me the war story. How does this team end up at Florida State? Is there like the XYZ conversation where it's like, all right, we're going to Florida State first. If that doesn't work, we're going here. If that doesn't work, we're going here. How do you make that choice? Uh, yes. So <laughs> I am, you know, this was actually the second year uh, we're playing somewhere else. Most of the time we've been home, so yeah. I, haven't, I haven't had to worry about it, but um, I knew that we would have a quality team this year, so I was probably less uh, worried. You know, there were there were, or I should say, there were probably more places that I felt comfortable selecting uh, than perhaps the, the previous year. And but going to Tallahassee is a lot easier. We're hopping on a sure. bus, and you know, we're fairly familiar with our team. We played them a bunch this this fall, right? And and so they're they're a formidable opponent you know like they've beaten us black and blue the last few years and our players will certainly be super motivated um in in going over there but um you know it'll be it'll be tough from the first day and we're playing some good matches you know prior to the sec slate and so i'm super excited about it yeah no um that's yeah that's awesome and 
Um, again, watching your team compete this season is going to certainly be an exciting one. And I am curious, again, last serious questions before I let you go. I don't want to make you late to practice here early on. But, uh, you know, I know how it's, what, 13 other SEC teams you have to compete with throughout the year. So that's half your dates gone right away. Right. It's a Baylor trip. You're playing Florida State again. But, you know, uh, how do you – you know, is 25 dates enough? A, I'm sure with a big conference, it's a little bit more difficult. But you know, B, how do you manage those other dates? I've always felt like our spring schedule is definitely enough, right? I've, I don't think I've ever gone into May thinking, geez, you know, if we could have only played five more dual matches. <laughs> Perhaps in January or February, you'd like to put one in there to get ready, if you will. But like at the tail end of it, uh, we're playing uh, – we're for sure playing enough matches in the spring. The fall, however, you know, we still haven't figured out how to do properly, in my view. I, I, um, I felt like we had a better grip of, of our fall schedule 10 years ago than we do now. And I do think there are things we can do to improve that, um, you know, the moving the individuals, you know, being one if we get the wild card in there. But um, in general, in the spring, we certainly are playing enough matches. I, I think it helps us also, um, Alex, that the SEC is so deep now. You know, mm-hmm. like every single weekend, we have to really get ready and we're tested. You know, that um, there's, there's a depth to this league that, um, you know, really can help you uh, when you get ready for postseason April and May, right? You, you're going through a gauntlet. Our players are tested. They're tough. You know, if they're not, you go away. So you, you learn a lot about our team over the course of the SEC slate. I think in scheduling now as a veteran coach, I have to do a better job now perhaps than a few years ago since the SEC is so strong in selecting what we do prior to the SEC. And, you know, with, uh, I, b- I believe, one of our national championship teams um, in the early teens there we perhaps didn't even play the indoors we just basically sat that out because one we weren't very good indoors and two the sec was so tough that we we decided to play some other things and we thought that that actually helped us prepare for the outdoor season more so uh, i think every year we have a different team you have to look at what um, uh, what can get your team best ready for the postseason you know and uh uh, winning the NSEC, if you can win the SEC, most years you're good enough to compete for an NCAA title as well. So as long as that is true, you know, that sort of narrows your focus and your scheduling, I think. Would you be fine with the 500 rule going away forever? Yeah, I, I don't quite understand that rule, to be honest with you. That's an ancient football rule that's sort of <laughs> stuck in our game, you know, and that that just makes no sense to me. I agree with you. Well, then my last question and I'm reserving the right to bring you back to pick your brains on these sorts of things in the future. You get one match to re-coach. It could be a win. It could be a loss, whichever you'd want. But one match from your past, you get to re-experience that coaching job. What do you pick and why? Um, I'm going to say the 2010 NCAA final. Yeah. It's a good pick. That was, I want to say, that wasn't Stanford, was it? That was against yes, Stanford. Yes, it was Stanford yeah. at Georgia. And we were up, it was 3-3 three, three matches. We're up 5-4 and a third at three singles. Uh, we had Mark Boonstra there. Um, and I believe it 
may even have been 1530 on Mallory's serve. But mm -hmm. but then on the other hand, you know, like the, then the, we, sh we probably should have won that one. But then the following year with Lauren down 4 0 in the third to Mallory and the decider, we, we turned that around. So it's hard to be, you know, like you can't be that greedy. <laughs> well, so no, this is why I have to bring you back because I was going to ask did that Stanford loss set up 11 and 12? Um, I would say it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, in many ways. Now, we did have some new actors in, right, for sure. 11. So we, we brought in, um, you know, that's when Olivia and Alex mm -hmm. and Sophie came in and we lost Rezina and, and Marit. Uh, but clearly for Lauren and for Ali and for Joanna, you know, the, the core, if you will, there. Oh yeah, that that hurt bad, you know. Yeah. I mean, I that was a bad feeling. There there've been few of those moments in my career where you're sort of in fetal position the next morning. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember getting a call from Urban Meyer the next morning. It was like 8 a.m. or 7:15 in the morning. I'm still in bed, just didn't want to get up, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, you got to sort of cuz I knew how much it hurt Mart, you know, mm -hmm. like Mart was destroyed and I just really cared for that kid and um so yeah, clearly that was a, some of that definitely helped us uh, the next year for sure. Oh three, eleven, twelve, seventeen. Your best team was. It's uh, tough. They're all good. I would. I mean, that is just. I'm gonna say eleven or twelve. Yeah. yeah. That that I, I'm gonna say that. Uh, we were we were very deep. You know. Sircone at five, that's wicked, you know. <laughs> but yeah, probably. Yeah, one of those. Two. They yeah. were they were very different. I'm right? Sure. They were very, very different. In in O three we also had lost in the finals the previous year, you know, yeah, but with a lot of new actors mm -hmm. uh that, that next year. Uh in seventeen, I think we felt like we had the best team perhaps the two prior years, even though we lost to the eventual champion both those years in close matches. So that year now, you know, in 17, we were an older, oh, we had uh, Ingrid in as a freshman, obviously that added a lot, but we were older, experienced, very determined team. And so all four of them were very different in their in their way, you know, but which is the cool part of what we do. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, with that in mind, coach, I'll let you get underway on capturing number five. I am very grateful uh, that you take the time to chat and tolerate my nonsense all the time. And again, I think I echo um, a lot of us in, in, in saying thank you to you and what you do for us. It's uh, it's a it's an honor to be on, and I enjoy listening to you every time you you speak about college tennis. Oh, I so appreciate you. that. Well, then, coach, be safe, be healthy. Good luck to the Gators, of course. Let's do it again. Yeah, of course. Take care. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee 
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.